Have you ever wanted to chat with a CIA analyst about how to spot propaganda campaigns or maybe learn what it is like to be a real-life private investigator? I want you to check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Check out Jordan's conversations with Thomas Erickson about how to protect yourself from psychopaths or his chat with Renee DiResta on dismantling the disinformation machine without fail. He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with a noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. There is so much here. There's just so much here. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Well, happy Monday. I am even more excited than usual to share this latest Cup of Justice episode with you. Because, y'all, we got to talk to Cheryl Crow, and we had an amazing conversation. Cheryl is not only a Grammy award-winning singer and songwriter, she's a big fan of fighting for what's right. And much to our surprise, when the trial ended, she has followed the Murdoch case from the beginning. Cheryl grew up in a small town and watched as her father dealt with the highs and lows of a justice system he deeply believed in and respected. Liz, Eric, and I, and Cheryl, and wow, it's really surreal to say that, talked about how someone like Alec Murdoch could cause so much damage, the importance of finding justice for Stephen Smith and his family, and how, despite the darkness we've seen over the past two years, how hope still exists. Thank you again for your generosity, humor, talent, and insight, Cheryl. We loved you and your music before, and we love you even more now that we've seen what a big heart you have for justice. So cups up, y'all. Let's get into it. Wow. Oh my gosh. Cheryl Crow. You guys, I am so, I mean, I'm going to start crying. I'm so happy to meet y'all, and I'm, I just can't tell you how much it means to me, the work you guys, I mean, the work you have put into this for the justice sake of it. And I mean, I'm, I, I'm an old lady. So to just see that the young people are holding people accountable and it just, it means so much to me, not only as an American and as a mom, but as the daughter of an attorney from a small town. I remember that. Yes. And to grow up with somebody who was like fighting my dad still, I mean, he believes in the justice system. He has fought his whole life to see that it works correctly and to see where we are now and that these young, you rocking young women who are like doing the research and bringing the truth to the forefront and however you have to do it. Plus an old man, young women and an old man. 
Eric, hey, we're the same age. We're 61. And right. Eric, I'm going to step out here and just say, I think we look pretty good. You look damn good for 61, girl. Yes, with with, with the right lighting. Um, I think we look... <laughs> oh, my gosh. We, we look at least... I mean, we look 58. Yeah. Yeah. Not 51. You know? 51. <laughs> 32. I, I give you 32, both of you. You guys both look amazing. Anyway, I'm su super big fans and I just appreciate, I mean, just, I just appreciate what you guys not only have done, but the fact that you're so committed to bringing justice and oh my gosh, Stephen Smith. I've been crying all the way through that. I mean, if that were my kid, I have kids. And if that was my kid, I don't know what, I, I mean, I don't know how Sandy's doing it. So I just appreciate that you guys are advocating for her and that you're, you know, just taking on the system. Anyway, I love you guys. That's all I'm saying. Taking it to the man. Taking it to the man. Holding the feet to the fire, you know. <laughs> Where the rubber meets the road. All that stuff, you know. I'm still catching my breath that it's Cheryl Crow that is literally just, you meant so much to me in college. And your, I mean, I could play your songs over and uh, to the point where my roommates were like, stop. Just over and over and over again. Every song hit a mood. And we were talking before this about what we wanted to talk to you about. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was writing because I was telling them about the song Picture and just, you know, putting Kid Rock aside. You get this, like, the, get the guy's version, version and you're, like, kind of locked in, like, okay, this is what the song is. This is what it's about. Feel bad for this guy. You know, sort of rough going and he's in love and he wants – and then you, she chimes in, you chime in, and it's like, okay, now the story's different. So it was, it was really helpful as a writer just to – you see those parallels between writing a story and writing a song and just how you can sort of – grab somebody by the hand and say, follow me, listen through the end, and I'm going to get you there and you're going to really enjoy this. And so I, I learned a lot from that, just even just from your songs from, yeah, very formative. I love that. I was thinking about this the other day because I've been writing a lot and, you know, I know people are tired of politics. They're tired of the gun issue. They're tired of, and people are just tired and stressed out and the, our mental health is being taxed. And, but I was thinking about it the other day, my second record, um, I put out a song about a kid buying a, a gun at Walmart and the album got banned and it was like a big thing. This is before social media. And I was thinking about it, you know, now I feel like as a songwriter, I can write the place I go to make my point known are songs. But for you guys as journalists, I mean, you're kind of doing the same thing. I mean, it's, it's done in an, a different artfully way, but your messaging um, your investigative work is through podcasting. I mean, for me, my message always comes through lyrics because I get a lot of, will you just shut the F up and sing? And, you know, for all of us who are not only curious, but are advocates for what's right, you go where you can to make your voice be heard. And it gets harder and harder to do that. You know, it gets, uh, you get written off in a thousand different ways. I mean, I watch it with journalists and people are like, oh, the fake news and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's interesting what podcasts have done and how I got turned on to you guys. I mean, it's through friends who are like-minded and like, you got to check this out. And my friend told me, this is how it works when you get to be a mom, right? You're standing on the sidelines at a baseball game and somebody comes over, one of your friend's moms and says, have you listened to the Murat Murs? I mean, you know, however you, however the word gets there, it's the like-minded people that spread the message, and it's kind of like songs. You know, have you heard this girl who blah, blah, blah has written? And, you know, it's generally not the hits. It's the 
it's the deep cuts or the album cuts where you get to really say what you think. And even though people know you as all I want to do or soak up the sun, the people that really know you are the ones that know the ones that are about what's happening in reality. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey, you know, and the Kid Rock thing is really interesting because, you know, he and I are on very polar opposites of the issues right now, but you can meet in the middle where music lives, you know? I love that. And people forget that. Yeah. It's finding your voice. Finding your voice is a huge thing for writers. And I think Mandy and I have had just a whole different perspective on that in the last year and a half because of finding your voice and then Mandy getting criticized literally for her voice when it has nothing to do with (laughs) the work that we're doing. It just, it sort of just takes this whole new focus. Okay. I'm going to tell you, they did a Bob Dylan, this is years ago, where they, he had lyrics left over, whatever. And they went out to several artists and said, do you want to take a Bob Dylan lyric and write music to it? So I did, you know, and I was like, I don't feel pretty good about this. It's cool, you know. And then I just happened to read this before social media. Maybe it was during, I don't know. I I happened to read something that said that I sounded like uh, a cow being given an abortion in a field somewhere. And I was just like, really? 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 I don't even, what does a cow sound like being given? I mean, do we give cows abortions? Anyway, I was just like, you know, how low? Anyway, so I, I feel your pain, Mandy. Um, I do, but, you know, people are going to find any tiny little thing to pick you apart, and especially where the truth lives. You know what I mean? People don't like, they don't like you challenging what they already believe, and so they're going to find the smallest, stupidest thing to pick on. And it is the one reason that I don't, I mean, I'm my social media person sitting here, and she's going to shake her head when I say, I don't do social media because I don't like how many. Um, you know, I'll go to her and say, I read this today. Can we post that? And she'll also give me responses to people. And I say, can we respond? But I can't dig through it because it makes me lose my faith in humankind. So, so you just don't, you don't look at it. I don't look at it and I've not let my kids have it. My 15 year old's getting ready to turn 16 in a month. And he asked me a couple of probably a couple months ago, if he could have Instagram because he's on the fishing team. Right. You know, and so he has his own private Instagram. And luckily, God bless my kid. He's such a goofball that it doesn't really occur, occur to him. I mean, he's inquisitive and everything, but I, I trust him because he's sort of out in the, you know, I want to post this big bass fish I just caught, Aww. you know, and it's not like he's, he's not that kid. So now my 12 year old, I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to go spelunking when it comes to, so when he gets social media, because, you know, he cares a little bit more about persona and stuff, but yeah. What hooked you in the house? You know, what, what was the hook? For- Seriously. And I'm going to say uh, Stephanie Walton's name because I'm, I know she'll be listening to this. She doesn't miss you guys. She turned me on to you guys. And I think it was at a time when, um, when did y'all get, I mean, it's been four. I mean, I started at the very first. So that's been what, three years ago, four years ago? You started investigating them like four years ago. Yeah, I started the podcast in 2021. Yeah, so it was all through COVID. And anyway, we got talking about podcasts. And I was saying how much I was getting into podcasts. And she said, Well, you have to check out this podcast called The Murdoch Murders. And she sent me, you know, she sent me a link and said, You just have to check this out. And the very first one I listened to, I was like, 
she also turned me on to Bone Valley and some some other ones. But this, you guys, and I did listen to Bone Valley all the way through, and that just, I don't know if you guys are hip to that or not, but I mean, there's just so much injustice and almost, almost invariably is because there is money and power that reigns over what happens in the courtroom or what never gets to the courtroom. And and like I said, having grown up with a dad who was just like Atticus Finch, I just was very, uh, I was just locked in and every week was just like, how the hell, you know, how is this happening? You know, and I loved the outcome. I mean, I loved the fact that all these people who lost everything and weren't, weren't even savvy enough to realize what was happening to them, that you guys were championing them. And anyway, it's just, it's a brilliant story. It's, I mean, it's a 19 part miniseries if it ever gets made into, I mean, it's just so deep, but you know that if this is happening, that it's happening everywhere, you know? I always say that we, we didn't have a license that South Carolina is unique. Every state has a small hamlet, a small town where there's a few powerful people that control what goes on. Now, I'm not sure it goes to the extent that Alex did it in, in the, all the different crimes, but it's in every, every state. Yeah. And, you know, we see it every day at every level. I mean, in and outside of the court system, it exists everywhere where there's money and power. And I, I do... You know, it's been interesting. I dropped my kid off at school this morning and there were armed guards everywhere. And I just, you know, it does make you feel like, okay. Yeah, since you're right there from last week's shooting, right? It's right near where you are. Yeah. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And uh, you do just go, okay, where can you go to exist in some sort of utopian society? And you can't. I mean, you just have to do what you guys are doing, which is... You have to live in it, but not accept it. You have to raise your voice. You have to hold people's feet to the fire. You know, it's not convenient to, you know, go to the protest. and do, But at the end of the day, you do have to show up because it's not enough to just act like it's not all happening, you know, on every level. And the people that knew what Alec was doing and that were either too terrified or didn't want to lose their positions of power, they had to live with that, you know. and they're guilty. You know, he he's sentenced to life, but they're guilty too. There's nothing that brings me more pleasure than hearing Cheryl, Cheryl Crow shaming the people that didn't speak up in this because that has been one of the hardest things for Mandy and me is just because we have seen what the fear looks like, but there are, just like you said, people who were more interested in not losing their power and that's why they didn't speak up. And they do. They have to live with that. And hopefully they will turn that into something good and, and do the right thing the next time. But one man created all this destruction. And I think the same goes with school shootings, right? It's one person creating all this destruction. But it's the, in my opinion, it's the tool that allows them to have this this much destruction happen in such a short amount of time. So with Alec, it was always like his tool was his family name. And he was able to do all of this simply because of his family name. Yeah, I, you know, and I do look at it and I go, okay, so where's the hope in this? And because I have to, I mean... Eric, you and I are generationally coming from a different place. I have to look at it from the place, from the standpoint of hope, because I have little kids. Right. And I look at it and go, okay, so the Lafitte's, for instance. I go, so do the kids look at that and think all that power and money was worth it when they, when their dad's walking around with an ankle bracelet and he's getting ready to go to, you know, all that. 
do they go, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow in his footsteps or do they go a completely different direction, right? We don't know yet. You know, right now it seems that they're still um, on their father's heels and they're mad at the system and they're mad at us and they're mad at everybody except the person that they really should be mad at is their father did this to their family. Right. And I guess my feeling about it is I'm hoping that the next generation of Americans don't think all this is okay. Like they will buck that and go, we're we're better than that, as opposed to falling into, I got to have money, I got to have power, I'm keeping my AR-15s, or, you know, whatever it is they think looks like success or patriotism or whatever it is, because they're living, they're the frogs in the pot of boiling water. I have hope that they're, they're growing up more savvy than we did, you know, and maybe for me, as a, uh, came from a small town, everybody was either middle class or or less than. There was nobody with big wealth. That now all this big wealth that's so enticing is starting to look kind of nasty. And hopefully our kids will look at that and think, what are we fighting for here? You know, it's not normal to watch your parent go to prison. It's not normal to walk into a school with armed guards. There, What is our barometer now of what is normal? And do we get back to a point where we go, okay, the justice system can only work if the people around the powerful are willing to take on the powerful um, at all costs. And that's, you know, this is like a turning point, I think, across the nation because of podcasters. I mean, you know, it's not trial by podcasters. It's galvanizing a movement of people going, this isn't, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. And I'm not going to stand by and be quiet Right. And what's really interesting is, as we're talking about all of this, like, I can say I hate social media. I can say that it drives me crazy. I, Liz knows <laughs> how much it drives me crazy and how much I hate it. But at the same time, it's also an equalizer in society. And it's a tool that can be, can destroy us, but also can improve and equalize things to a tremendous extent. Because I don't, I don't think we would have been involved in the story to begin with if people didn't start speaking up in 2019 on social media. And that's where the Murdochs, that's what they couldn't control. They're used to controlling their, their town, their newspaper, their the police, and then da 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 But a widespread amount of people. And then podcasting is an equalizer too, because guess what? You don't need like a fancy recording studio. You don't need a label. You don't need a big name behind you. You can just get in front of the microphone and say the truth and tell a story. And if you're good at it, then people will listen. And you don't need a lot of money and power for that. That is so true. And, you know, I tell my kids all the time, this, and I have told this publicly quite a bit, and my kids don't like it, but so, you know, in, in Nashville, just like every other city, you have people that are that stand out and ask for money, right? So we have this thing in Nashville called the contributor, and there are lots of people that will sell this newspaper for a dollar, and that's a way of kind of at least working. They're selling something, you know, so that they can have some sort of life, like homeless shelters and that kind of thing. So we always, I, my, my 15-year-old is a total empath. Mom, how much money do you have? Well, I think I got like 80 bucks. Okay, give me the 80 bucks. I was like, 80 bucks. <laughs> and then my one in the back seat, my 12-year-old is like, Mom, you know, he probably is going to walk around the corner and get in his Maserati and drive to his nice apartment. 
And I'm like, okay, so here's the, here's the lesson in that. It's all about intention. Mm-hmm. Your intention of going on social media and saying, look, there's something that's not right about that. If your intention is to shed light on that, you may have to endure a bunch of other people whose intention is to tear you down and their intention will sink them. But your intention is all, if your intention is good, the outcome of that is out of your control. But the intention is the blessing. I tell my kids all the time, it's not on you what he does with that money. It's your gift that you have the op- the, the opportunity to give away 80 bucks right. to a guy who hasn't seen 80 bucks in a long time, right. right? What he does with that, that's on him. But your intention is to bless that person. So what y'all are doing, I look at it the same way. Your intention is that you want to give voice to the people who clearly are voiceless and who are being taken advantage of. And you've created this forum for yourselves, right? So you've taken the opportunity, um, but the intention behind it is right. So you do have to deal with the bots. You have to deal with the haters. You even have to deal with the people that are still aligned with the powerful who are, you know, just scumbags. But the fact is your intention is right and beautiful and powerful. And outside of that, that's on everybody else. You know what I mean? I I clearly and so powerfully believe in the power of intention. Yeah, I think it's what we do with our talent and how we use it that we can make a difference. But, you know, I'm a lawyer uh, more than I'm a podcaster. And I have never been more scared for our justice system than what I'm saying now. I mean... We have the greatest justice system in the world. We don't we don't charge people on Tuesday, try them on Wednesday, and kill them on Thursday like some countries do. Uh, I'll tell you, I was a chaperone on Wyatt's eighth grade trip, and uh, and we went to D.C. and we had this incredible tour guide who had served in Vietnam. He had been somebody who advocated for I don't want to say policing monies, but he testified a lot before Congress, and then he became a tour guide because he loved history so much. And the first place we went was Arlington Cemetery. And I was so, not just humbled, but so sort of, I I don't want to say enraged, but I mean, I I looked at some of the people and what they're doing to our government, just even in State of the Union speech, standing up and yelling, liar. Right. He was from South Carolina, by the way, Cheryl, (laughs) the guy who yelled that, (laughs) the the original guy who yelled that. (laughs) And his son is the attorney general of South Carolina. It, it, it was in the Murdoch case. Oh my! Okay, here. Let me just uh, let me just have let me have a little co- cup of coffee out of my cups up. Cups up. Cups up. Cups up. Cups up, people. Later on, it's going to be like a martini glass up. I, yeah, I'm with you, Cheryl. Yeah. That's where I live. Okay. We'll be right back. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination 
combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestion available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. There's no better razor out there than the Athena Club razor. Shaving used to be something I dreaded, but Athena Club's products seriously make it more fun and easier to shave leaving it moisturized, super smooth, and bump-free. It truly feels luxurious. And now, I look forward to shaving. Athena Club's razor has thousands of five-star reviews from customers, and it is designed with built-in skin guards to help prevent razor burn while being gentle on curves. Show your skin you care with the Athena Club Razor Kit. Head to athenaclub.com and use code COJ for 25% off your first order. Again, that's athenaclub.com and use code COJ for 25% off. Athena Club has also launched in Target stores nationwide, so make sure you check out the shaving aisle to buy their products in-store in real life. Go to athenaclub.com and use promo code COJ today and you'll get 25% off your first order. Everybody needs to drink from the same cup of justice. Yeah. That's how we got our podcast. Cups up. Cups up. <laughs> I said it in Alex's first bond hearing. I said to Judge Newman, I said, you better make him drink from the same cup of justice that everybody else did. And the next week, Mandy, Liz, and I said, boy, that would be a great name for a podcast. Well, it's uh, I don't miss the Cups of Justice podcast either. My kids were like, when it, when the court case, the, the six weeks that it was on, I would have it on all the time. Like I'd have it in, in the car and my kids are like, Mom, we're worried about you. You're like obsessed. <laughs> right. Were there any moments during that, though? Yeah. What was your favorite part of the trial? Did you have like a favorite person? Well, I mean, I, I love Judge Newman. I mean, I, I really, I loved what he said in the end. I loved the way he handled the whole thing. I loved the lessons at the end that he gave everybody. I mean, it really does, um, you know... You have to live with the ghosts that come visit you. And I, I just thought he handled it with grace and dignity, with absolutely no bombast, which I really appreciated because I feel like, you know, I can remember my dad during the OJ trial saying, this will be the end of a just and fair trial. When you bring cameras in and you get personalities in front of a camera and he was just like sickened by it. 
So I appreciated the tone of, of that case. Um, I thought Creighton Water, I, I mean, it was what I hoped for, but I'll tell you the, the thing that was the most damning was him. I mean, you got to see, you got to see, and it scares me because I look at, I'm sorry, I look at our former president and go, the kind of gaslighting, that kind of mansplaining that makes you feel like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I should relook at this or whatever, you know, if you don't have all the facts. I mean, it's, it's scary. Carol, he's getting love letters in prison now. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It does. What the hell? I know. Let me tell you what. There are crazy people everywhere. There are nice dressed, uh, B- BMW driving, voting Americans who are not willing to look at what is happening to us. You cannot justify some of the stuff that's happening just because you're aligned with a party. I mean, you just can't. I mean, and, you know, used to it was easy. It was like, okay, so this party doesn't want to pay as much taxes, and this party wants everything to be socialized. This party wants this, that party. The reality of it is we're so divided now because we're listening to some real Bad people. Real bad people. Some idiots. And we're aligning ourselves with um, who we're against as opposed to who we're for. And that's just, that's where I get into the fear for what the future looks like. But on the same token, I mean, I I feel like there is a lot of hope there because, and I'm, I'm with you, I always have to look at the bright side, otherwise I'll go crazy. So I think the bright side in all of this is that like a lot of the worst people that I see on the internet are a lot older than me. A lot of like, sorry, but baby boomer generation is really, really mean online. And it's hardly ever younger people. I feel like the younger, like you said the word gaslighting, and I'm sure you say that to, in mansplaining, and I'm sure you say that to your kids. Those words didn't exist when I was growing up. Like we didn't have a, we just thought that that was the way that old men talk to people. And that was that, and that we just all had to accept it. But at least these kids know how to like call it out and and narcissism. I didn't know what a narcissist was until like 10 years ago, maybe. Until I got engaged to them. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh-oh. But like uh, th- those terms were never... I'm with you. I think, you know, like I said, sadly, our kids are growing up having to like, they have to really think about like what's going to happen with, to them. You know, they. Li- I- I'm hoping that they will. they will see the example of um, some of their parents and go, that's not how I want to be. That's not what I want to do. That's not the way I want to speak. That's not the way I want to treat people. You know, I, I, I've always said modeling is the most powerful thing you can do for a kid. But I also am hopeful that some of the modeling that we do changes the way our kids look at the world by virtue of the fact that it's not working for their parents, you know, that they're more thoughtful, that they're having to I mean, certainly they're more savvy. They're having to like navigate the world through um, cell phones. They're learning already how they're being manipulated by algorithms. That's part of their, I mean, they're growing up with it. I'm still trying to figure out how to work my, my cell phone, you know, and they're so savvy and they're, they're able to call things out and to delineate between reality. And so, yeah, I'm hopeful too, that they're going to, they're going to like the environment, guns, hate rhetoric, division, all that stuff that they're going to be able to look at that and go, okay, wait, we're going to work together. 
I do see your son's generation as being a kinder one, quite honestly. I, I, I hear kids their age saying things that are just so much more profound than as Gen X. I just never thought that way. So I, I do have hope for the next generation, as, as, as grim as things do look. And like Mandy said, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, unfortunately for Maggie and, and Paul, but fortunately for the other victims who are now hopefully getting justice or going to get answers in the case of Sandy Smith, we wouldn't be here today without that younger crowd, Stephen's age, calling all this out in social media in a way that they just couldn't, that, that, that just didn't exist for them. It wasn't an outlet for them before Facebook. They just had to sort of talk about it amongst each other, amongst themselves. And so I do think that that having access, it, it has the 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 bright and, and the dark, but having access to so many people's opinions and so many worldviews, so many other people's worldviews, it can also create a more empathetic generation. So I, I do, I do see hope for your, for your sons. I agree with that. And I, you know, like with, with Sandy, um, I, I think what's permeating everything right now where Sandy is concerned, where Steven's concerned, it's humanizing. You know, you see this mom who for eight years has been, you know, just grappling with the grief of not only losing a son, but not having the opportunity to even really know what happens. And I, and I, I feel like because of what you guys are doing and because of the story, because of the opportunity that she's having to speak um, as a real person, as a person who's still in mourning, who's painting a picture of a darling boy who was well-loved, you know, um, that somebody is going to come forward. I just feel like it's too, the weight of knowing what really happened to him, hopefully, um, and with with Sandy and and how much people are loving her from afar, you know, all over the world, that the weight of that will compel someone to speak up. I just want to get her closure. That's yes. That's why I got involved. You know, Mandy, as I said on last week's show, you know, she was a great salesman. Said, "Look, Eric, look, I got your money now. Step forward. You know, you." You do your dizzle, get on TV, scream and shout. That's what I do with my mouth. And uh, But for me, it's she needs closure. The woman just needs peace, and she has not been at peace. And it's a horrible thing when you are when you have that uncertainty in your life and you don't have peace. And I'm just, if I can find somehow to get her that peace, I'll feel pretty good about it. Well, and you know, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that y'all are doing that because how many other people have lost loved ones and it got shuffled or or swept under a rug because of the powers that be and people who didn't want to put the money toward it or knew knew and did some covering up and how how often does that happen so i mean this is she is just a, an example of what can happen and um i would never want it to happen and i'm sure if it did to me because of who i am it you know It'd be all over the place and there'd be like lots of resources. But here's a woman who lives out kind of in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina. And this can happen. And you guys are just three South Carolinian American justice fighters who took on her case. And we call ourselves the Justice Warriors. You're the Justice League. <laughs> and I think you should have your own Marvel comic, personally. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, somebody it's... did knit us dolls, though. We have dolls now that are out there. They knitted us <laughs> a Mandy, a Liz, and an Eric. They look just like us. I mean, people have been so kind. Oh my God. Cheryl, every day I go to the office, somebody sent a, a glass blown picture, or somebody sent uh, coasters or, or dish towels. I mean, just this whole process, I said to Mandy and Liz, has made me feel like there are good people out there. They're out there. Yes, there are good people, and it's hard to not get bogged down with like, oh my God, where are we going? And the and humanity is blah blah. blah. There are great. That's what I, the one thing I look at on social media is upworthy because I'm just like, ah, oh, I love good news. I love good stories, and there are good people everywhere. And doing good feels good. I always say, man, the blessing is in giving back. It's not what you have; it's giving it away, and that's that's. Time and energy and concern and fighting the good fight. It doesn't have to be about money. It has to be about showing up. You know, no matter what you guys find out or we all find out about what happened to Stephen, he deserves the right to have his story be told and to have his family know what happened to him. And and rest in peace. I said the other night, you know, he's probably been pounding on his coffin door for eight years screaming, hey, no, I wasn't, this isn't a hit and run, you know, and now we've, we took him out, we got him exhumed, we got an autopsy done, we put him back. Hopefully now he can rest in peace. I just, I have to ask one thing. Um, I, I, I can't, it's hard for me to understand how a lawyer at the crime scene could actually call the mother and offer representation. Exactly. To me, that just stinks beyond... I don't even know what to do with that. I'm just like, okay. And I don't want to get into tying anyone to it, but y'all that listen to the podcast like I do, that struck me so hard when you first told that. And now with where we are, I'm just like, you can't look at it and not say the Murdoughs were at least, I don't say that they're involved in his death, but wanting to insert themselves to represent or to control the narrative or whatever that's just, man, that stinks. Well, you look you look at the Mallory Beach thing. They showed up at the Mallory Beach scene. They showed up at the hospital. You, you look at the murder scene of Maggie and Paul. Uh, John Marvin's there. Uh, all of his partners are in the house the night of the murder. You, you look at Stephen Smith. There's an allegation that Randolph Murdoch showed up at the accident scene. There's allegations that he called uh, Sandy and her husband, Joel. I mean, like you said, it's the insertion of your power into something that you're not a part of. Yeah, absolutely no part of, or as far as we know, no part of. And I don't know. I just, you know, that's the kind of thing where you go, Stephen was already, he was already on his way to heaven at that time, but he had to be watching that and just going, oh my goodness. It's one of two things, right? So Either Randy was there because PMPD was such a major powerhouse in Hampton County, and the industry of Hampton County had become this law firm, had become lawsuits, had become filing cases against insurance agencies. So a lawyer who's a, who does that sees that there's an incident where somebody has been killed in a hit and run. Oh, okay, if you find that person, now we've got a lawsuit, right? So it could be that. It could just be a sign of of what that industry looks like in Hampton County and how people have had to live with the way that works. 
Or it's the other thing, which is you have them inserting themselves into a case that has nothing to do with them so that they can have a heads up on where law enforcement is going with it. So which is it? It's neither is great. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's ambulance chasing and I yeah. totally, I understand that. But I, I also go, go, I mean, it's not lost on me that it would be Randy. And if, the, if his firm was to take the case, does Sandy get the money? What a great question. <laughs> what happens to the money? Is she one of those people that just happened to be represented by, because, I mean. I don't want to tarnish the whole firm, but, you know, certainly if it was Alex. Well, that's what I mean. It's like. It's crazy, too. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. When we first started investigating all of this and looking up all of these names involved in the Stephen Smith case, kids that were teenagers had lawsuits had, were involved in law and PMPED lawsuits, teenagers, several of them. Like you look up all these different names and look it up, lawsuit, look it up, lawsuit. Look, and it's like either there's something going on here. <laughs> there's something going on here regardless because it seems like there's a they, – they literally made a business out of creating – yeah, lawsuits, <laughs> creating lawsuits and make and in Hampton County. And that's another thing that like people don't get like the your auto insurance is a lot higher because of all these because of all these lawsuits. Like it's harder. It, the poor people pay for it, you know, and they. Yeah, there's no Walmart. There's no industry. You have nowhere to have your wages go up. Right. Nobody wants to build any businesses there because they are terrified of getting sued by the law firm. And it's just thing after thing after thing um, where it's really like a like a caste system. Like the, right. A caste system. Mm-hmm. PMPED is here. Caste system and everybody else in the town is here. And they all just kind of dealt with it because they had no choice in... Like, I go back to, and again, talking about the young people and how I've been inspired by them this entire time. My very first source in this would not talk to me on the phone about the Murdochs. And she was like, can I meet you at a coffee shop? And I met her at a coffee shop. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and said, if my grandparents knew that I was telling a reporter about the Murdochs, they would kill me. That always resonated me with me because like, I'm not from here. My parents aren't from here. I'm from Kansas City. They don't know who the Murdochs are. They're not gonna tell me, but like it, it's really hard on these people because generationally they have been told to shut their mouths and don't talk about it. And finally, this Mallory Beach's generation and Steven's generation said no. We're done with this. And that I, that's where the hope is. Because, I mean, even, I mean, do you guys see that, do you feel like anything now that the practice or that the way it's always been, do, do you feel like it can change now that people are going to wake up and go, oh, so we're actually living in almost poverty with no opportunity here because of the way this whole thing is set up. And now they're hopefully going down or perhaps some of the people that are in that law firm still are good people and will do something to lift up their communities. I mean, do you see any upshot or any kind of change coming on or is it just the way that it is? Like industry won't even come to that area or kids just won't move back. It'll take other lawyers to go put up a shingle there 
It'll take new judges to come through that don't have the connection to that area. And it'll take more people moving in that'll demand more commerce. It's going to be a slow, it'll be a slow, gradual change if it happens, but it's not going to happen overnight. And we'll be right back. I love this time of the year. When the weather gets warmer, I get to see my friends and family a lot more often. Whether we're meeting up for a pool party at the house or David's barbecues or spontaneous get-togethers, I always love to have great wine on hand to share. That is why I love First Leaf. As America's most personalized wine company, First Leaf takes the guesswork out of wine selection. You just answer some quick questions about your likes and dislikes, and their experts will curate a selection of award-winning wines tailored to your taste. I love sharing great wine with my friends and family, and I know you will too. So give First Leaf a try. Head over to tryfirstleaf.com COJ to sign up and get 50% off your first six bottles of wine plus free shipping. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash C-O-J to get 50% off your first six bottles plus free shipping. Try firstleaf.com slash C-O-J. Also, I hate to say this, it's the beginning. We're at the very beginning. I know, Cheryl, from your perspective, coming into the story, you must have been like, this, how is this real? How is this a real thing? Because every time there's a new twist or turn, you're just like, that doesn't sound like, it sounds like fiction. But this is just the beginning. And there are a lot of people that still are have yet to be held accountable. And I think that the Office of Disciplinary Counsel, us putting pressure on them to continue, just because Alec is now going to be in prison for the rest of his life, that's amazing. And that that is a huge first step. But there's, like you said at the very beginning, there's there's other people here of power who didn't want to lose their position by speaking out, and and hopefully now they can. But otherwise, no, it will stay it will stay the same. Unfortunately, without that extra pressure, which is what's going to have to keep coming. And people kept asking us, like, what are you going to do now that the that you, he's in prison, it's over, and it's just like, wow, that I don't know that people understand just how not over this is like that was just we got one (laughs) we got one i mean honestly every every week you guys would have something some new thing and i would just be going oh my god (laughs) and then i'd be like okay well next week it'll be more and then the next week it'll be like oh my god (laughs) i mean just the layers and the layers and the uh, just the tentacles oh my god oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, it's so true. And, and honestly, it's like, you know, talking about accomplices, one person can't pull this off and they certainly can't pull it off for what, three generations of people. And I mean, there are some people that should be kind of nervous, you know, wow. And I keep like, every time I tune in, like yesterday I, I listened to talking about the exhumation and I mean, there's just always like little nuggets where you go, well, why did that happen? And why would they cover that? And I mean, it's just, it does blow your mind. And I guess the thing for me is like, okay, so this is happening here, but you know, it's going on in other places too. And I love the fact that there will be people that 
are hip to what you guys are doing and are going to want to do that where, you know, they're going to want to shed some light, bring, you know, drag their communities into the light. And, and that is a very big deal. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big deal. Yeah. You yes. need to write a oh song. I'm going to write a song called Soak Up the Sun. Write a song. That's a big deal. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the more that I think about it, it really sucks. But I, I think of Alex as a product of a bad system. Like I think of Alex of like a branch of a tree and the, the tree, the whole tree's bad. We need to cut off the tree. Alex is just a branch and we have a long way to go. And I hate to say that because I, you know, maybe want to have kids someday or something else. <laughs> you might want to have a hobby. <laughs> yeah. Has time for hobbies. There's a thing in the law called fruit of the poisonous tree. Cheryl yes. probably heard her father talk about it, but Alex is the fruit of a poisonous tree. And it's just And it a very is, enticing fruit to a lot of other people, you know, that would fall in line. You know, it's low low hanging fruit for sure. <laughs> but it's true. You know, I, I do like Eric because I grew up with I remember my dad had a lawsuit. I grew up in Dunklin County and the county next to ours, which is where he grew up, was called Pemscott County. And I think I was maybe, I was in third grade. So what does that make you, like nine or 10 years old? He, young lawyer, took on this case in Pemscott County to represent, I guess, in their voting system, they'd had a whole bunch of people come in and stuff the ballot box with dead people. And I mean, it was, um, you know. And I remember coming downstairs about two in the morning, which for a little kid is like, um, and my dad was asleep on the couch, um, sitting up with a shotgun. And uh, we had all these death threats and, uh, you know, pe- oh people hanging up the phone, wow. like people calling. And then when my dad would answer, hanging up the phone. So like finding out if we were home. And I just remember that being my earliest introduction to the justice system, right? I'm just thinking, wow, it's like cowboy and Indian or, you know, it's. Uh, wild wild west or whatever and then growing up and and him talking about the different cases that he had he was he i mean he was like fire and brimstone just you know but knowing that and i would i would i would ask him dad how would you represent somebody that you thought might be guilty he's like that's not my job my job is to, you know, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, it's, it's on the... Just make the system work. His job is to make the system work. The way the system works is to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Everyone gets their day in court, fair representation, da-da-da-da-da. And I, I think that's why it's been so profound to me what you guys have done, because how much longer could this have gone on? Um, and it all stemmed from the beginnings of your podcast, where you started just shining a light on all these people who were not getting their day, you know, not getting their, the money that they deserve. Not, I mean, just, and it, it, they'd still be doing it. I mean, it would still be, I'm convinced it would still be happening. Cheryl, that, it happened because Mandy and Liz, but Mandy stumbled across in the court records that Gloria Satterfield, you know, there was a settlement of $500,000, which, outed Alex for the first time, you know, and I remember that's how I got involved. And so it all, you know, one document, one doc, maybe Alex, if if you, what would have happened, Mandy, if you didn't 
discover that document? Would he have been outed? You know, would the Mallory case be different? I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> I don't. I know. It's true. You, you don't want to know because honestly, I remember when I was listening to it every week and thinking, this has got to be making some people nervous. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't like, it wasn't like you were just posting, you know, to your family and friends. I mean, this was like, I'm speaking up. And that is, that's, that is total bravery to do that. I don't think, I mean, that cannot be overstated. Total bravery to put yourself out there. Because, hey, the world's not a safe place. I'm sure you guys have had death threats and every, you know, and not being able to sleep just with the weight of knowing what you know and feeling like, I got to keep, I've got to continue with this until something changes. And just the bravery and the courage that goes into that. I, I just am, I mean, I'm in awe of you guys. And I hope to goodness that you can act with some self-preservation and find some joy outside of this. I hope you're getting massages and body work and, you know, cause it's very stressful. <laughs> I mean, it's, it would be stressful to me after I would hear something that you guys would like the, the newest thing and then the next newest thing and the next newest thing. And I would just be driving around like, oh my God, you know, it's just, it's yeah. not fathomable. And, and the fact that you brought it to Judge Newman. I mean, you literally dragged it to Judge Newman the with your first podcast. It landed finally in court. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah, we could not have asked for a better judge, too, because, you know, the O.J. Simpson case with the cameras, I totally agree with that because it was such a... Um, yeah, it was just a circus. I mean, this was a circus too, for sure. But the, in, it, it kind of worked in the opposite way. Here, we needed those cameras because the more people that were watching, the safer Mandy and I personally felt, I believe. Like, it just felt like we had so many more people who saw the things that we were seeing in this sort of vacuum. And because they were now seeing it, it... it it put it on them as well. So, so people that were speaking out about it sort of like shared the the burden of knowing this and seeing it, and uh, the the peril of what what the outcome is going to be was sort of shared by all of us. So that was really awesome. That used to get me like during the trial, it get me really choked up just seeing all the reporters outside the courthouse and knowing that they're now sharing this burden with us in a very real way, and then yeah, it just having those cameras in the courtroom basically everything's always done in the dark right so this is the sunshine this is the light like you really can't hide from that camera it's it's right there on you south carolina looked good we we alex did a really good job of bruising our state and certainly tarnished my profession but i think judge newman wasn't judge lancito and creighton wasn't trying to become a personality and even though there was some moments with Dick and Jim, they, they did a good job. They hard lawyered. There was really good lawyering. And then when it was over, people were peaceful. There wasn't a riot. Nobody disliked somebody just because you thought Alex was not proven guilty or Alex was guilty. I, I think we showed that you can have civility and that the justice system can work. Yes, I agree. And I felt so and I, I know you guys must have felt this way, just relieved, not only with the verdict, but the fact that it seemed like we could all hold that. If it, for, for a long time there, I thought, 
gosh, I bet this is going to be a hung jury. Yeah, I did too. But my fear was that it might come back not guilty. And I don't know how we would have all held that. Yeah. Now, we didn't see that. None of us saw <laughs> that, though, I don't think. No, but I did have my passport ready. Oh, my gosh. Let me, I want to ask you guys a question, though, because this is just my little tiny analogy, but my first two Grammy Awards, uh, first two Grammy ceremonies, I was nominated and I had worked and worked and worked. I mean, I studied music in college. I'd schlepped my gear all over the place. I mean, before I was 30 when my first record came out, I was not spring chicken. And so when I got the Grammy the first year, or I won three Grammys, I didn't. I got on the tour bus and went straight on to the next gig and didn't really internalize or hold that award because I don't know. I just didn't let myself. I was just like, well, I I am into the work. I've got more work to do. And have you guys been able to just for a minute celebrate the profundity of what you've done here? I mean, if there was a Pulitzer Prize for podcasts, and I, is there? A Pulitzer Prize. Well, so I feel like they need to create, just like in every other forum now with the internet, if you've got great journalism happening, um, and, and in, in my mind, better journalism happening uh, without the, the pressures of having big pharma advertising you and, you know, having some sort of um, agenda that you have to push because you're beholden to, I mean, the best journalism now is happening where you're not beholden to anyone and it should be awarded and there should be a Pulitzer Prize for you guys. But are you able to just like, at least for now and again, celebrate yourselves just even a bit? Eric is shaking his head, no. I believe in the Nick Saban rule, you get 24 hours to enjoy your victory and then you got to soldier on. You can't, you can't rest, so. Can you, can you do two things at once? <laughs> You know, now I'm knee deep in the Stephen Smith. So Alex is such in the rearview mirror and, you know, but I, I did a good job for Gloria. I did a good job for the Plyler sisters and, 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 uh, Jordan Jenks and a whole bunch of others. But now I got the same pressure. I got to get a good result for Stephen. And then I have 150 other clients out there that I got to do it. It's just, we soldier on. That's what we do. We just soldier on. But yeah, you know, we did have a, like a tear and a smile. I remember when we were in the, the trailer after the verdict, but you know, work goes on. You, you know, I have kids, my daughter is a surgeon, a son, I got to worry about them and you have children and we, we soldier on. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I felt a lot of relief after the verdict just because I don't want to know, like I'm a person that just gets sad about, I, I think I would have just lost faith in everything if that would have been, if we didn't get that guilty verdict. And I don't even want to go there because I don't want to think about it. But I, it, it was, it, and I also have to say, Cheryl, you made that night. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's so true. That was, thank you. Like I hope it wasn't lost on you guys that I was making, what was it called? Bang, bang shrimp. <laughs> And that was not... It was lost on me now that you said that it. That was oh not planned. I mean, I just happened to be making shrimp, which I don't usually do, and I was doing it in the air fryer. And I'll tell you what is really funny. Like, I had some, several people say, what are you making? And I was like, oh, gosh, I'm making bang, bang shrimp. 
<laughs> That's just poor taste. But also the fact that I got messages from people saying, oh, by the way, that air fryer has been recalled. And I'm like, thanks for saving my life. Not only has Murdoch Murders funny? podcast given me lots of enjoyment, it also has saved my life from blowing up my kitchen oh with my a recalled uh, air fryer. That is hilarious. Do you know those movies where, and I, I guess I think of like me, it's such an obscure movie, but there was this movie called Kid Co. I remember from growing up and it was kids that started their own business and it was sort of a movement of manure and they're fighting against the powerful guy in town. And you don't really have a sense of how big your, what you were doing was until a moment when, you know, you're celebrating, you're like, check, we did it. Oh my God. Wait a minute. Cheryl Crow was watching and this made whole a time. video. Like, it, it, <laughs> Right. It was like, oh my God. My kids were worried. I'm just going to say they were like, oh my gosh, she's going to have to go to like a podcast rehab. Uh. Yeah. You just, you walk out and you hear, there's another movie that um, Mandy and I were like, I guess sort of as like a coping mechanism would watch these sort of obscure movies like The Legend of Billie Jean. Yeah, that's a great movie. uh, Where she's got this sort of like movement and then she doesn't realize how big her video is that blows up that she's, what's fair is fair, she keeps saying, because the the powerful guy tried to to do them wrong. And so she, she gets out of her car and all these women have her hair cut and they've cut off their hair basically and it's sort of a Joan of Arc way for her. And so it's that same sense of awe that we just, I still am surprised by people who know about the Murdoch case or who know about us. But yeah, when we saw that, that was, that was just when you started to realize like we've been in, literally, it's a laptop in a microphone and Mandy and David are, you know, this started at the kitchen table. It's not, it, Mandy's in one of her guest rooms right now um, with, so it's it's not like something that's super fancy. So you don't really get a sense of how big the whole thing, even if, even though you know how many people are listening, it still doesn't register. Yeah. Cause you're living in the, I mean, you're like in a, almost like you're sequestered. I mean, you're just like in a, a vacuum. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you guys can't know. I mean, I think it's the same as a musician when you make records, you cannot know the impact that once you let it go, you don't know what it's what it's going to do. I mean, there are songs I go, well, this means something to me, but I can't imagine it's ever going to mean anything to anybody else. And those invariably are the ones where people will stop you in the airport and go, oh, my God, that song got me through a divorce or da-da-da-da-da. So you let go of it and you just assume that it's like that intention thing, right? If your intention is good, it's going to have a life beyond what you can envision. And, um, I mean, I'm just a person who... I mean, I am well known, but I am like a lot of other Americans or a lot of other people that want to see people doing good, that want to see justice served, that want to see uh, the smallest or the meekest of all of us have somebody that champions them. And the story is uplifting. You know, for me, I hung on it because I felt like everything that you guys was, that you were in, unfolding had hope in it. You know, it was always like a, like the end of a miniseries where there's like a, um, what do you call it? A hung or like a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Yes. Cl- I, this is what happens when you get 60. Do you have this problem, Eric? It's like, oh, that word, that word. Uh, yeah. Eric has it all the time. Grasping for words. Oh my God. If I had to go into a courtroom and use words, I'd be like, okay, um, it's that word that has a cliff in it. And a, <laughs> um, But it was like a cliffhanger, but you still hung on to it for the hope of it. And um, so, I mean, I might, I might be Cheryl Crow, but there are 
I, there are so many other people that are just like me that love to see things go right. You know what I mean? Right. So Cheryl, how do you stay like my my question for you? I think I have millions, but how do you how have you stayed like so grounded and above the noise and been? I mean, your career has been so long, and you can't find anything bad about you on the internet. <laughs> like, I'm sure you you could not really. Um, but like, yeah, how do you do it? Well, I, I will say, um, my dad's ninety one, my mom's eighty six still married. Uh, they raised us in a very modest, I mean, we didn't, nobody had money back then. And I, I did not make it until I was 30. I had, I held real jobs. I was a school teacher. I had, I waited tables for years. And I think not having grown up in privilege and having seen a different kind of America, but also being raised by parents who were very my dad was a Republican. My mom was a Democrat. We were raised with these healthy, fiery discussions. And then we turned 18. Each one of them would secretly come and say, you're going to vote Democrat, right? You're going to vote Republican, right? You know, because they knew they were canceling each other out. And I just was exposed to people who were just, you know, curious and felt very responsible for the way the world was supposed to look by the way they raised their kids. And um, and also, I would say I have grown up also with some mental illness issues, and that has given me a real sense of what it feels like to battle back. Um, and living in the world of social media for me has not been healthy. I know you've taken breaks from Twitter, Mandy, and I mean, sometimes you have to advocate for yourself. And so there's just, just along the way, I don't know, I think... I think my earliest beginnings as a Midwesterner has informed everything, you know, just that sort of, I want things to be okay and fair. I don't like it when people are jerks, you know. I don't like it when people, when things aren't fair. It doesn't sit well. And I think that's one of the reasons I wound up being a songwriter. You know, we, we got raised on my dad reading Puddinhead Wilson to us. And, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do to my kids. And, of course, they think I'm like, they say I was born in the 1870s, which I kind of was, but, you know, I don't know. I mean... Do your kids know how famous you are? Like, do they get it? They they don't understand how famous I was. You know, I'm not... I'm Now I'm their mom, and I love that. And they, they did grow up on the road, but they were too little to understand that that's not how every other kid would grew up. But, like, I went to them and said, look, I'm going to be outspoken about this gun stuff, and I want you guys to know that. And you go to a conservative school with a lot of families that support Trump and who are very adamant about Second Amendment rights, which I'm not opposed to them. I just think there are sensible gun laws we could pass, but not going to happen in the state of Tennessee. But I said, I'm going to be vocal about it. And I want you guys to know that. And I want you to be OK with that. And we had some hard discussions and and they will ultimately decide who they are and who they want to be in the world and what they want that world to look like. And. I think that's how I was raised, you know? I love that. We've taken up so much of your time. I know, we really have. Oh my I, God, I love you guys. I no, feel like you're I, my family. You're sweet. I just want to let you know what time Easter dinner is in case y'all need, in case y'all are going to come. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. I know, actually, yesterday I was like, oh my God, it's five o'clock. Where's the podcast? I mean, I'm a little know, bit, sorry. I'm a little bit jonesy about it. You know what I mean? Like, oh my, oh my gosh, God, I need so like a fix. We promise yeah. you we're not a one-hit wonder. 
No, I don't think that. And I really am very serious about like a Pulitzer or something like that. Because I think we've gotten to a point now where it's too easy to say, okay, the press is fixed because they're so sponsored. I love that there are people like you guys and you are young. You're of a different generation that are now leading the frame, but also exemplifying what it means to be a serious and thoughtful and super responsible journalist. And Mandy, I love that you are also exemplifying what it means to be courageous and to take on the system. Um, I mean, you're just one lone young woman who was like, I can't stand to be quiet about this. I need to find a way to lift up humanity. And I, I mean, that's to me, that is the message of living is to look around. I tell it to my kids all the time. Your only job is to look around and say, where can I help? You know, yours is not to judge. Yours is just to look around and say, where, where can I be helpful? And I guarantee you, if you do it, your life will be full. And I just love that you guys exemplify that. And Eric, if I could get my dad to listen to a podcast, he would effing love you. <laughs> <laughs> he would. <laughs> he would be like, Dick Harpooley. I mean, you know, look, I'm in the fourth <laughs> quarter of my career. I, ne I never envisioned this, you know. I, my mouth's my weapon. My words are my currency. But I do it in court. And I never, never imagined that, you know, that I can walk around and people would say, there goes Eric Bland or whatever. I'm like, what? And somebody asked me for an autograph. I said, look, I'm not autograph worthy. I'm not giving you an autograph. I'll take a picture. But, I mean, I'm nobody. You know, I'm just nobody. And it's just crazy. Well, I love it because I think it's the nobodies who stick their necks out sometimes, um, you know, for all the right reasons. Um, and as far as you've been on the fourth quarter, my dad tried lawsuits in his 70s. And so I think, I mean, he retired like at 75 and continued to go into the office till he was 85. Wow. Aww. I think you've got like two or maybe three more quarters. Okay, today. okay. Let's look at more oh, yeah. like a cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Well, you've been an amazing woman. You know, we followed your career. I have for a long, long time. And, you know, I have a place in Aspen. So we would always talk about, you know, you and Aspen. And you're just amazing. You don't age. Oh, well, I'm going to go scrape. I'm going to go scrape off the caulking when I get out of here. Nah, oh, you, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. You just have found it. You've, and you're not letting go. The lightning in a bottle. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. I mean, I do... I'm going to, I feel like in my life that you guys are, Liz and Mandy, I feel like you guys are like I was and like I am. Like I keep feeling like there's more work to be done and that my best work is in front of me. And that that's the thing that keeps me going. And I think as long as you're, you're curious and you see things that you need to speak about, you will always find work and that work will never feel like work at the end of the day. It will feel like you're just showing up and and I love that. I, I see that for you guys. So um, I'm going to always be like checking out what's going on on Luna Shark and, um, and the good work you have in front of you. And I hope, I know that awards and accolades and stuff don't mean everything, but I do, I hope there's a way that for people who are not aware of what you guys do, that even other journalists, other young journalists will become aware of what you guys do. I went to University of Missouri and at the time we had the number one or two top journalism school. And I think it still exists that way. And just, you know, getting universities to come in and to bring you guys in and speak about how you can be a journalist in the world that exists now for young people, which is 
um, what you guys do. And it's just so brave and cool. And I love it. So y'all keep up the good work. And I love spending time with you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you. It's our pleasure. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Thank you. We are huge fans. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for this. This made my month. I yeah. Well, and you know, I it it is kind of weird that I'm like like I pour my coffee into my cups up, and on Wednesdays I get like all excited and. <laughs> Cheryl Crow's a groupie. I'm a groupie. I'm a groupie. That's right. I am. <laughs> yes, oh my and, and I'm, I'm shouting out to my friend Steph, who I know is, and my friend Sarah. I mean, we just texted ad nauseum, like, oh my god, did you just? If you listen to the podcast, you know, so, and I know that there are lots of you guys out there um, who are relating to that. Like you get on your text and you're like, can you believe if you haven't checked it out yet, you've got to listen to blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, thank you guys. It's been really joyful and, you know, I'm going to keep on, you know, keep on listening. Thank you. Thank you. I hope we can have you back on when uh, we find out what happened to Stephen Smith. Yeah. I want you guys to give Sandy the biggest hug for me and if you're listening sandy i my heart goes out to you i embrace you cyberly however you do that and i feel steven man i know we all do we we feel his joy right now and we know that he is he's loving that you're finally getting just being seen and being heard and getting some justice so i'll tell Say it that word justice you know that's a big one it sounds good. Yes. Sandy's a huge fan of you, Cheryl. She was like, oh my gosh, you're talking to Cheryl Crow. <laughs> I told her earlier well, this week. I just tell her I have a lot of love and respect for her. So, and for her daughter. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be there all the way until, till she's having her, what is it you guys had? Coke, uh, celebration. You had like a glass of wine or what, whatever y'all do to celebrate the moment when, Yes, I'm going to be there right there with you. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. Well, with that, I say cups down, Cheryl. Cups down. Cups down, Cheryl. Cups down, Cheryl. All right, love you guys. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Love you. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions.